Don't be afraid to say what you imagine is possible out loud to the world, right? That's my version of my wish list. But then that gets me to point number two, which is be willing and able to bring on an, someone on your team to help you develop this idea. Hey, welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. I'm Daniel, this is Nate, and in this episode, we're exploring a pretty big topic. One of the things that happens when you commit to recording a weekly show is that life goes on, <laughs> and as life goes on, you're dealing with things in the background um, in life and in business, even as you have this kind mm -hmm. of consistent schedule. Very, and I know everyone listening can relate to this because life goes on and you deliver lessons week after week after week that business runs. One yeah. of the things that's been going on in the background for Nate since the beginning of this podcast was Nate's response to the pandemic and how that impacted Brooklyn Music Factory and the facility, the facility that they had when the pandemic began. Uh, and what I'm getting at is that during the entire run of the podcast so far, Nate has been in the process of opening a new location. And actually, earlier this year, Nate actually did open that new location. Nate, what was mm. the date of that? What, when did when did BMF yeah. officially open, the soft open? Yeah, I like, I like the idea of an official opening. It's a soft opening. We opened with a teen open mic show on January 28th. Um, so that's when we actually opened the space. And now we're fully functioning with classes there Monday through Saturday and birthday parties on the weekends and all that good stuff. So, so what's also interesting and, and where I think this is applicable to everyone listening here is that this is not the first time Nate has opened a new location. And mm. so in today's episode, what we want to do is explore what Nate did opening a previous location, I think seven or so years ago, and opening the new location that opened this year and do kind of a comparison of mistakes that were made in the past and how Nate corrected those mistakes or did something in a better way this time. Now, I think this will yeah. be helpful <clears throat> for a variety of people. First off, let me address the majority of the audience. Most of you here are not in the process of opening a new location. No. And maybe aren't even interested in doing that in the future, potentially. Like, you may be in your forever home right now, <laughs> or right. you might be... Um, you get the point. Um, I still think there's value in this episode for you because some of the things that Nate learned and then did differently this time would be 100% applicable, whether you're in a commercial location or potentially even in a home studio, some mm -hmm. things that you could do. However, if you are in a position where you want to be thinking ahead and you do know that there is a commercial location in your future or a second location or third or fourth or fifth location in your future, this episode will be of enormous value to you. And mm -hmm. if you're currently going through opening a new location or in the early stages of that, I think this episode will also be of enormous value. So the format we're going to take here is we've come up with a numbered list and we're just going to go through these uh, things that Nate learned in opening his old DeGraw location and now having recently opened the Carroll Street location, what Nate did wrong in the past. I, I, that's a little, I don't know, maybe this isn't just, always wrong, but... But just what, what Nate's learned. So you want to jump into it, Nate? Yeah, let's dive straight in. I would say 
things that Nate did differently this time around. Sure. And this is our third location that we've opened in 13 years. So um, okay. between so, all of us, we hope that this is our forever home. Yeah. I like that version, Daniel. So yeah, yeah let's jump straight in. So, um, Nate, I think there's a logic to the list we've created. What's the what's the first thing that you would say was something, um, a, a shift that you had in how you thought about opening your old location versus this one? Yeah, I would say number one for me was that when we closed our location in March of 2020, and then eventually, you know, we wrote a $90,000 check to our current landlord and said, you know what, we're done, we're breaking this lease by July of 2020. And we were officially homeless at that point. Um, one of the very first things I did was change my mindset from the previous two locations where we came in and sort of retrofitted Brooklyn Music Factory to whatever was available to us. And instead, what I did was say, I want to make a wish list of exactly what I imagine in this new home. And Daniel, the thing was, is that it was part therapy. Because I was in, you know, there was some pain in leaving this home that we had built that we were proud of on DeGraw Street in by July of mm. 2020. And we, I had, a, I had a future vision in that space. Um, so partly it was therapy of just saying, hey, I'm going to sit down and actually make a wish list of all of the awesomeness that can happen in this new home. I don't know where we're going to find it. I don't even know yet how we're going to find it. I don't know what it's going to cost. I don't even know the size yet. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this list. So um, rather than just say, you know what, I'm going to let the market define where we're going to be, I said, I'm going to make a wish list. And let me, let me before we go to the next item, I actually pulled up this wish list because- Oh, I love it. By the way, Daniel, I've, pulled, I've looked at this wish list so many times. It's basically my equivalent of a dream board, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like whenever things got particularly hard in the search for, op- you know, in getting to opening- of our new home, I would open up the wish list and be like, come on, dude, this is what's possible. Remember, this is what's possible. You wrote this in like June, uh, August of 2020. A couple things on my list were like, um, you know, some of them were very financial. I wanted rent to be only 6% of gross revenue, right? The national average is like between four and 6%, but in New York City, it's more like 12 to 25%. And our average was around 11%. So for those of you that aren't numbers people, forget about the percentages. I just wanted to spend less on rent and more on people, mm. right? So that was one of my wish list items was just spend less on rent as we grow um, our gross revenue. Another thing that I wanted in this was, um, you know, and I didn't get this, but I wanted it I wanted to have a cafe and wine bar attached to it. So I had gotten so close. I had my friend who owned a great cafe. I had signed, I had gotten him a lease on an an adjoining building. We were going to knock the wall down and everything. But that was one of the items on the wish list that I had to let go of. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I didn't let go of was I wanted to be able to play 24 seven in this building. I wanted the soundproofing to be so good that I never thought about my neighbors except for to just invite him into a show. I never wanted there to be any issue there. Um, that's something that we totally achieved in our new space. I can go play there now. I can go play there at three in the morning. Okay. I have so a question. Examples. I have a question. Yo. This sounds like such a great 
thing and potentially even an obvious thing. Why didn't you do this when you opened your previous two locations? What what hmm. was different in your mindset that you didn't think this was possible? Okay, so if I go back to to our original location, I think that's primarily due to the fact that I was a rookie entrepreneur. I didn't really understand that I didn't understand space yet. I didn't understand the value of space quite yet. I didn't I definitely didn't understand commercial the commercial lease leasing market. Um, and so all I was doing in my first three years of Brooklyn Music Factory was just trying to figure out how to meet demand by basically renting or subletting rooms from whomever would give them to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that first error was maybe not an error at all. I think it was maybe just growth through experience and understanding what's possible. So so here's the question I have for you then about that. If you felt like you were under pressure and you just had to act, mm-hmm. what if there's someone out there listening to this who also feels similarly like, could you have done something different for those other two, Nate? Could, would you have had the luxury to actually... Um, would you have had the luxury to actually to take your sweet time finding to making your wish list? You know what I mean? Yeah. When we get to number five on the list, I'll tell you exactly what I did differently. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week, and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. So then let's go to number two. One of the things that you said that you did differently, I thought this was interesting, and I think it kind of is a natural progression from the first thing, was that you were more patient this time. That the time you took to open this location versus your previous location was vastly different. So maybe tell me a little mm. bit about what that time difference was and then tell me why why you did it this way. Yeah, totally. So we closed in you know, permanently March of 2020 and we really didn't open until January of 2023. So it's a solid three-year arc there. Uh, in our previous opening of a spot, I found and signed a lease and opened a place within three months. So it's a three-year versus a three-month timeline, radically different, right? Um, There's a version of patience that grows with us as we become more experienced as entrepreneurs, as business owners, right? And the patience required here um, is around saying, 
if you're going to build something beautiful, it takes time. And it takes a lot of intention. And what you rush will come back and bite you. And it'll prove itself time and again. We see it all the time as music school owners when we hire in a rush. It just happened to us at BMF. Two months ago, we found ourselves in a, in a sort of a position where someone came in who didn't really go through the entire hiring funnel. We hired that person immediately. They left on two hours' notice, like two hours before a downbeat of a class. They're like, I'll no longer be working at Brooklyn Music Factory in a Slack message, not even like a face-to-face. So it was mm-hmm. clearly something we already knew better. And so with the space, I applied the same idea, which is just have patience, Nate, because if you're going to build something, if you're going to build your forever home and it's going to hit 75% of your wish list items, it's going to take time, right? So that's it. I just, I made that commitment to be patient. And um, when you think back to those previous locations, I, I, you know, I think you've alluded to this. Would you say that you weren't in the mindset to do it that way because you did feel like you were under pressure? Or was there anything else that made you believe that you you shouldn't take that amount of time? Um, there's a couple things. Number one, if you think you're going it alone, that's when you make accelerated poor choices. So the first thing that changed in my mindset was realizing that I had a team of really smart people that I should be leaning on and asking for advice at the rate at which they would respond with a meaningful response. Mm-hmm. So just because I'm a fat, like I consider myself a fast thinker who loves to improvise and talk through ideas, that's not how everybody else operates. So for example, Jessica, who's been with BMF through all three locations, has very strong opinions about what needed to happen in our new location. However, she needs time and space to think and process. So the first thing is I was wiser around making sure that I leaned on my team and asked for feedback on on my wish list, on my ideas, on the design. Um, The second thing, honestly, Daniel, and this sounds sort of like abstract, but it's not. I literally reminded myself to practice patience daily. In all aspects of this building, things would go totally awry, which they did dozens of times. And I would ask myself, for example, hmm, I would sort of like practice exchanging self with others. I'd be like, well, I wonder what's going on in this contractor's life. Why does he need a little bit more patience from me right now? There's probably a good reason. So let me give him the benefit of the doubt and practice patience today. And Nine times out of 10, of course, there's a good reason. Like they want you to succeed just as much as you want to succeed. So um, anyways, that's the other piece is like mm-hmm. there is a real practice there. And you do have to ask yourself, how patient are you going to be today? You know, yeah. so anyways, that's just, that's that's something that I found to be extremely valuable. Well, what I'm seeing here, and I think it is also present in the next one, which I think we should go to. But the observation I'm making as I'm hearing you say this, because again, we didn't go into depth as to what you were going to say before we hit record today. Mm. But what I'm seeing is that there, there was more creativity and openness in your thinking that just even in the previous two and in the next one, it's like 
back when you opened the previous locations, you had a narrow you had a narrow range of belief as to what was possible, and those narrow guardrails really set the limits on what you thought was possible. Whereas mm. in the new location, what it feels like to me is that you were open to a lot of things that you didn't even consider possibilities before. Mm-hmm. Like it actually is possible for us to maintain a seven figure business and not even have a location and not really be doing a lot in terms of online lessons. Like mm. that, like three years you, you had no yeah. location. Now I, you know, got to see your temporary space when I was at, um, yeah. when I stayed at your place last fall, which by the way, we recorded two episodes while I stayed with Nate, episode 46 and 48. You should go check those out. They're nice. about systems and how to run a systems-based business. We recorded them in Nate's space there. And I got a chance to tour his temporary space um, where they you know, maintained a seven-figure business while they were building out the new location. But I, yeah, I just see that ability in you now to think more expansively, more creatively, not be as negative, be more open to possibility. I think that goes to number three here. Yeah, which totally. is you had, you were so expansively thinking that previously in your past locations when you opened them, you had a very narrow way of the way that you thought you could deliver lessons, whereas you actually considered other things. So what what was that, Nate? Tell me about that. Yeah, I remember a conversation with my brother at one point where we were, it was probably August, September, October of 2020. Everybody was swirling, trying to figure out what was next. And he said, Nate, have you ever considered just not even having a school, like a physical location? He even said, Nate, have you ever considered just walking away from BMF? And so, of course, we value those relationships because they're asking hard questions, <laughs> whether, we're really, whether we're ready to ask them of ourselves or not. Right, Daniel? For sure. <laughs> um, and so I actually sat down and contemplated what it would be like to des- to decide to no longer have a physical space, no longer have a community room that I would walk into like I'll do today and play drum circles with my students and and all of the students at BMF. And I sat down and I really did that thinking. I was like, what would it actually look and feel like to stay online full time and be how would we build that community? Um, and there's an I'm gonna share a note that I look at regularly. Daniel right now, which is just called making a decision. And it's something that I don't even remember. I made it like five years, four years ago, and I read it with some regularity. And it's just around like, ultimately, every decision must be made with my heart and my soul, right? So um, there's obviously some head involved for me. Like I need to do the analytical piece in order for um, me to get to a point of choice. But but around this question of could I even consider not having a physical location? And I'm an I'm a really like localized person. I mean, you when you were visiting Daniel, like we That's were. That's so true. Yeah. It's like it's really important to me to say hello to all of my, a lot of people on my walk to and fro the park in the morning. <laughs> I was even going to say we took a walk on Sunday morning, and I think you stopped and talked to two or three people that you recognize in the street in Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> past students, neighbors, people you knew. I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that that's like, you know, I mean, Daniel, as we've gotten to know one another better, it's like, you know, like that's something that's really essential to me. And so in this in this making a decision note I have for myself, it says, you know, it asks for three criteria to ask, you know, does my choice expand me 
Does it make me feel like, as you were saying, more expansive and open to the opportunity? Does my choice expand my future? Like, can I see something even that's even greater than I can imagine right now down the path? And then does it expand the possibilities of my life? Conversely, if I had no location, if I was just going to say, you know what, this is it, I'm going to stay online, did that, does that choice sort of shrink me? Does, it, does the choice silence me? That's a really powerful thing to consider. Or does the choice inhibit me in some way? And so I went back to that note thinking about this, contemplating no space. And I said, you know what? It feels like it's, uh, I'm shrinking from the long-term opportunity that's in me of how I can serve the world. And so, yeah, at least I contemplated it though. And it gave me more energy around looking for a new home. That's great. So just that expansiveness again. Yeah. So, num- um, you know, number one was you had this mentality before of seeing what was available, which is kind of a defeatist way of looking at things like, oh, let, let me see what's out there right. versus making a wish list and pursuing it, like having a positive vision for it. these are my non-negotiables. I think number four is similar mm. where um, yes. the commitment you had um, towards what you wanted the new space to be. So what's interesting about this is that it's it's easy to get what you want when you went about doing things the way you did this time. Mm. I'll leave it at that. I'll let you explain to everyone yeah. what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one of the things on my wish list that I mentioned was I wanted the soundproofing to be at a level where I could play day or night. Another thing that was on my wish list is I wanted a main stage that I wanted to gig on, a place that where I wanted to perform, right? And the bar for me as a performer is, it's not high, but it's fairly high. I mean, I've played in gorgeous concert halls around the world and in my previous career. And so I was like, I just want to, I knew I wasn't going to build a concert hall, but I wanted to build a stage with a vibe and an energy where I would really be proud to invite people to come see whatever the performance was, right? So um, number four on the list was I made a commitment to building a version of Brooklyn Music Factory from the ground up rather than retrofitting it to whatever was made available. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, one of the very first people that I brought onto the team and hired was an old friend who helped us with our home, Joel, who's a great architect. And he didn't have a lot of experience with commercial spaces. He primarily does homes in Brooklyn. But I was like, Joel, I want to build this amazing new community center. Will you help me design it? And so he was the first, long before we had a space, Joel and I I was sitting in his super dope little office that's like 12 blocks from here, like having a cup of coffee with him and just talking about, just dreaming about all the possibilities. And he didn't know what it meant to build a music school, but he was just totally open to just being as creative as possible. And he would send me artist renderings and sketches of floor plans. And so we would create this back and forth. The point is, is that I went in with a different mindset, which was just like, I'm actually going to build this sucker from the ground up and it's going to check as many of the boxes as possible for me, um, including a main stage with lights and great sound and, you know, all of these things that were important to me. Yeah. Do you think there's something that a listener or watcher could take away from this 
Mm, yeah. What, what's the learning point here, do you think? Okay, there's two pieces that I think are really essential, at least in self-reflection here. The first one is, don't be afraid to say what you imagine is possible out loud to the world, right? That's my version of my wish list. But then that gets me to point number two, which is be willing and able to bring on an someone on your team to help you develop this idea. So I went to Joel, who's an architect, and I was just like, Joel, I don't have a lot of money, but I got time and patience. Will you design this thing with me? And I pitched my vision, and I showed up at his office, and I showed up again, and I bugged him a third and fourth and fifth time. <laughs> and so the wisdom there is like, if you have a space right now and you imagine that it can be even more um, expansive than what, you, what you're doing with it right now, then step number one is sit down and sketch that thing out. Make your bulleted list. Step number two is find some friend or some person within your network to start bouncing the idea off of and, and saying that idea out loud, you know, and get a For me, I needed a picture. Literally my friggin' desktop image for like a year of this process was the initial picture that Joel drew, like the initial blueprint, which our school doesn't, I mean, it looks very different than that initial picture, but it was just enough for me. I was like, at least I've got one other team member who believes in this vision of what's possible. Right? Mm. So that's mm. the that's the wisdom. And again, it gets back to your earlier comment, Daniel, when you introed the app, which was like, maybe you're not looking to open a new location anytime in the next year or two. So you're like, I don't know how valuable this is to me, this episode. I would say, hold on a second. Look at your current space. And as Daniel, you put it, it's like, imagine what's possible within it. You know, maybe make your, maybe make your wish list for the next six to 12 months, like five things that you're going to upgrade in your space and then begin working on that list and begin enrolling someone to help you realize that. I love that. Well, in talking about planning and, you know, building from the ground up versus retrofitting. There's that concept that you like to come back to quite a bit. Mm. And I think that leads us to number five, which is how you went about forecasting in your previous locations before making decision or moving in and how you did it this time. So let's not assume that everyone who's listening has heard every single episode we've done. <laughs> Maybe give us... <laughs> Maybe as you tell us how you went about forecasting differently, give us a little bit of a working definition so we can even understand what you mean by forecasting. Because yeah, totes. Before I met you, when I thought of, when I heard the word forecast, I really just thought about my grandpa and how he always would watch the weather every day on the news. <laughs> right, nice. <laughs> but that isn't what you it. do. <laughs> I think like a simple definition of forecasting that we've we've shared in a previous episode around financial fluency and just sort of developing that piece is saying like, taking the time to look at historically what your school's done. So let's say you've grown from 50 students to 100 students over how many months or years, and then taking that information and trying to map out a future, you know, the next year, the next three years based on that previous trend. 
So you can do that with all kinds of data points. You can do that with the cost of a lead. You can do that with um, your retention numbers. You can do that with lots of different things. So uh, in the case of looking for this current home we're in, um, I, in previously, Daniel, I'm going to be honest, that first home, there was no forecasting really. I mean, I remember the first time that I was in a business class and it was a financial piece and the guy teaching it was this great, this guy who had owned this graphics design company and he was doing like, it's like, you know, this was his volunteer effort to teach this nighttime class and I was in it and he, and, and I went to him immediately and I was like, can I buy you lunch? Cause I really have no idea how to develop a financial roadmap for Brooklyn music factory. And he ended up actually volunteering time to build our first forecasts ever. And so I, I was like all ears and all eyes and trying to figure it out. And since then I've tapped a bunch of friends in my network and, and definitely um, spent some time and money on learning how to do it better. Anyways, the difference from school number one, BMF location number one, to BMF location number three. In BMF location number three, I made a 10-year forecast. I said, where am I going to be by 2030 or 2032 wow. if um, based on how many students we had when we closed Brooklyn Music Factory in March of 2020, which was 670 enrollments, I knew it was going to take time to build back up to that number once we opened our new space. I think we're at three. I can't remember where we're at right today, but like 350 or somewhere in there. We'll be at 450, you know, between 450 and five by the autumn, right? And then here's the interesting piece is that in that forecast, I was looking at one primary number, which was uh, what I talked about from one of the pieces from my wish list. I looked at over 10 years, what percentage of the the of the total um, gross revenue is going to have to go to paying for this new location, both paying the rent of the new location, mm -hmm. and then also paying for the build out of the new location, which we spent, we will have spent between five hundred and six hundred thousand dollars building this new location. So half a million, a little bit over that. And so what I did in a forecast was I said, Nate, what's your goal? My goal is I'd love to spend around 6% total over a 10-year trend on rent and build out, right? And so I just built this forecast and said, okay, well, what can I actually afford? What kind of lease do I need to sign? How much money can I invest in a capital build out? So that was a radically different version of Nate that showed up to this, this location than showed up to my first two, honestly, Daniel. Like, I think if I did any version of a forecast, even for our location that we just closed in March, it was maybe a year. It was like, can I make rent in year one and two? <laughs> you know? And so I don't expect our listeners to be doing 10-year forecasts. Sure, there's a couple of you guys, and you, you're, you're probably already reaching out to Daniel and I and being like, I love this part. I love this episode on financial fluency. But I would say 99% of you are like, Nate, I'm not building a 10-year forecast because I don't even know where to start. That's fine. Don't worry about that. But rather, think, what are the few numbers that you can um, understand in your business and just sort of begin to try to predict the next one to three years of those numbers? Yeah. Rent is a great place to start. 
Yeah. And I would just say that for those of you who are listening, who you hear Nate say, you probably don't know how to do that, or you even wonder about the need for doing that, uh, reach Ooh. out to us. We've yeah, been totally. working with studio owners over the last year and working on their forecasts, and it has radically helped shape their business and helped them make more mature decisions. And when you have that guide, when you have that support, to it really cuts down the time that it takes to learn what it is and learn how to do it correctly. And then more importantly, you fast track that wisdom to understanding how to apply what you've learned and make better decisions for your school. So reach out. There's many different ways you can do that. Email yeah. on the growyourmusicstudio.com website. Send me a Facebook message. Send me a YouTube. Well, leave me a comment on YouTube. Whatever you, you want. We'll be happy to uh, to work with you on that as we have with many other school owners. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now... I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us.